1: Welcome to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. I'm here with Michael. Hey, Robbie. How you going? I'm doing all right, man. Michael, I would ask you this really deep question, which I feel like you're going to have a great answer for. What defines you? Wow. So <laughs> I'm going to get, I'm gonna get that very was great. That was great. I'm going to get
0: good. very, I'm going to get, I'm going to get a little, uh, a little esoteric with it this early in the morning. Uh, this. Uh, it's a question that has to be sort of defined by in in like the the uh, the, the ages of man sort of thing from uh, from William Shakespeare the you know each man in his time plays many parts, and I think that where I am at right now, the the place that the world is in, the place that I am in specifically, I think that to me. The the most important definition of, of myself is uh, someone who cares about what
1: happens to other people. <laughs> you made me and, think, of, I was going to toss out a joke answer, but then you made me think of a deep one. I think for me, what defines me is my ability to understand, like trying to really grasp hold of everyone's perspectives on things, being yeah. open-minded. It's a it's Which, it, it's a deep question this early in the morning. It, oh, is, yeah. it is. It uh, is.
0: It reminds me when I was in uh, when I was in college, we went to uh, the American College Theater Festival, and there's shows happening all day long. And sometimes you don't get a choice of when you get to see a particular thing. And I watched uh, Samuel Beckett's Endgame at eight thirty in the morning, and. It really set my whole day up to just be one of the like weirdest sort of like whole day when you start your whole day off with like two people surviving in like this blown out, destroyed apocalypse of a world, and how it turns these two people who who genuinely care for each other and they can't get on without the other one. Uh and how even though they can see their own inter dependency on one another, when encountering people from outside of that interdependent bubble, they react sort of uh, violently and uh, very forcefully to things that come from the outside of that. Um, And I think that goes into uh, trying to use understanding as something that defines you during a period of time like this.
1: It's weird because I I look at my life Much like I think a lot of people should, which is that you should analyze how far you have gone from where you started to where you're at now. Uh, I think a lot of people look at what the future is going to be like, and they're upset by the answer that they're not there yet, and they're not at a level that they think they should be at. And I said, but look how much you've grown look at your progress instead of looking at the end game, the end result, I would say. I look at my life, for instance, like back in the day, like I used to go on field trips, maybe a few of them if I wasn't being held back for being in trouble for some crazy shit I did. But I never truly soaked in when we went on a field trip to go to like go see theater plays, for instance. I never truly understood it. I really didn't care about it. I was always heckling and being that little asshole in the back. But then as I got older, I really started enjoying things of William Shakespeare where, even Edgar Allan Poe and even falling into the lines of the monkey's paw is probably my all-time favorite play and it could be the actors if they were having a great day really was able to capture my attention but it was just the power that was in that like the monkey's paw for instance the deep meaning of what you you, you might really want this but it's not going to be the exact thing that you're going to get I mean that whole even when they turned it into a movie which people hated I ended up loving because of the act of I thought the play was a immediately like one of the most kind of deep meaning things to me at least because so many times you spend as a person or as a kid growing up and it's like i want this i want this i want that i want this and you'll do anything for that you do anything for this but will you will you and what happens if you do get what you want and it goes sour like for exactly. fame for instance everybody wants to be in this subjective eye of fame But that fame goes sour, as we're seeing today's time, a lot of actors being taken down or, you know, being in the spotlight where they seem like they just want to leave it. It's like everything turns sour, but it has a process to it. And it really puts into a bigger perspective of what are you holding important into life? What is it that you really want? And what is it that you're afraid will go sour? I'm
0: really glad we're having this conversation. This actually falls a lot into the more esoteric areas of study that I've been doing uh, on myself over the course of the last few months. Um, and trying to really, really embody and accept this idea that there is a difference between hunger and starvation. And you have to figure out, are you hungry or are you starving? Do you do you want something just because you want another thing to consume? Because you want another thing to to sort of have as like a, like an accessory or something like that added onto your life, or are you truly are you truly and deeply starving to have this this thing enter into your life, whether it be. Uh, a strange esoteric study or just, you know, purchasing a thing, watching people losing their minds over PlayStation 5 pre-orders and things like that. Are you hungry or are you starving? And there are people for whom, you know, their job is making content using video games. They are starving for that machine. Whereas somebody like me, who will probably play it maybe four times in a month tops, I'm just hungry for it.
1: When you say studying strange, esoteric things, what exactly are you studying? Are you more on the lines of studying everything that's being created by man? Or are you studying things that man is doing or humankind is doing? Because I try and do that a lot with my everyday life. I try and look at things in society that seem where are we're on shaky ground, I would say. I'm not saying I have like a deep perspective. Honestly, that gets me the most heated is when somebody's tossing out like I have the answers to everything. I'm the I'm I'm the I'm the god like I have all the I'm the podcast master. I'm like mother your ego is too big. It's, I don't even want to go near it. And it's Well, it's the it's the phrase
0: from Buddhism. If you meet Buddha in the road, kill him. Because he's a liar. If you meet somebody who has who has or even claims to have attained this perfect enlightenment in anything, that person is a liar and a charlatan and you cannot believe them, you cannot trust them. Uh, The the esoteric stuff that I'm getting into, when I turned 35 uh, uh, last summer, I decided that, you know, I had seen some of my friends date young women and buy fast cars and buy motorcycles and I decided I was gonna become a fucking wizard.
1: Seriously?
0: So I started getting into, uh, uh, all of these old, uh, esoteric magical texts and things like that. Um, delving into a lot of practice with tarot, a lot of, uh, uh, learning how to like scribe bones and runes and things like that. Uh, and really it's just been like, um, it's been a different way to hold up a mirror to my own sort of psyche. Because the the goals of a lot of these things, and you'll find them in a lot of texts, especially when when you get into occult stuff, you can't swing a dead cat without hitting Alistair Crowley. Yeah, and a lot of his stuff was about um, gaining worldly power, um, increasing his his own personal power, but the very heart of all of this is sort of an understanding of who, you're, who you yourself are as a human being. The way that I describe tarot, especially to other people, is it's a mirror that's broken into 72 pieces. So during the course of a reading, you will get an opportunity to look at these specific archetypal pieces of your own mirror. Because the idea is when you sit down and if you were to just go card by card through everything, you should be able to find a touchstone
1: in your own life to all 72 pieces. Each like kind of like a fracture of the soul a little bit too. A little bit, yeah. And that develops about who you are. Like you, 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 you might have more influence of a certain card inside of yourself than others, but they're all lead up into what the human is supposed to be, what a person is supposed to be.
0: Absolutely. And it's all things that exist within a human being sort of simultaneously, especially when you're you're looking at it as a practice for self-fulfillment as opposed to a practice of, let's say, divination, that I'm trying to uh, figure out the future. When you take that aspect out of it, and you're just saying, okay, what is this asking me to look at within myself today? What are the things inside of me that I am going to be sort of putting under a microscope today? And sometimes they're things that you might not like about yourself. Sometimes they might be about the lies that you tell other people or the lies that you tell yourself. The, the ways that we sort of uh, uh, big ourselves up or the ways that we diminish ourselves intentionally um, and the ways that you have to sort of sit with and recognize those things. It's very easy to be able to look at a reading and say, ah, this doesn't have any value for me. This doesn't, this doesn't open anything up to me. But especially when you're just doing
1: yourself, it's about being able to really put that microscope onto your own person. See, the issue is you're asking people to look inside of themselves and confront the demons that everybody's trying to hide. The reason why we do something that keeps our stress away, keeps these angers away. It's really hard. And this was the, I think the reason why people hate isolation so much is when you're spending so much time with your thoughts, you realize what in your life needs to change and you're afraid of that change. I got super interested in one, Ibernotics at one point in my life, mostly because I can't sleep. But when I did sleep, they were very intense dreams that were like nightmares. And I would wonder what these things were. Um, So I would try and study them and trying to realize, like, if you're in a ship and you're sinking in the water and there's sharks all around you, that is a thing for maybe you might be drowning in your own ego. You might be. And that was just something that it meant to me. So point out the major things that you dreamt of are the things that are lacking inside your mind that you're not confronting which happens a lot. And it's the reason why is, is we don't talk anymore. If you don't have a therapist, you're not talking to people, really. You're just mindlessly going on autopilot. You come home after a stressful day. Let's say somebody, Michael, I don't know, cut you off in traffic and you're really upset about it. Like you're taking it like to like, this guy like almost killed me, but you come home and you'll talk about it. You just go upstairs, watch Netflix and go to bed. That I consider, this is my little euphemism or metaphor I want to say, is that it's like your soul is like a pane of glass. Every day you get a little crack in that glass, and that's what I call a stress fracture, a little stressful stuff that ends up building up for so long where your mirror looks like someone chucked a baseball through it where the the whole thing is cracked and you're just putting band-aids or gum and sticking it on there and that's you going to sleep is you putting that gum on there you're not confronting those issues and when you don't confront those issues they build up to a point where it breaks you either it breaks your will or it breaks your emotional state and when that happens it's never good so when you reflect like with isolation for instance it's causing you to look at those things things that you dream and you think about and you have nightmares about they have a deep meaning when it comes to the fact of which honestly you could say you could take deep meaning out of anything but if you really choose to use it in that direction you could hone in a lot of problems i realized at a very very early point in my life i have a fucking huge ego issue like when somebody gives me a compliment, I can feel in the back of my head, like stroking my ego, like a little demon, like, oh, you're going to oh, be. Oh, yeah. And I, I have to, that's why if you ever hear somebody compliment me, I say no thank you, or I'm like, just, I, I just dismiss it. Because if I let that beast in, then that, it's like letting. A Jehovah's Witness in your house. You're never fucking getting them out once they're in. They're going to keep emailing you. They're going to call you. They're going to always show up. You're letting in that door where you think it's like, well, it's only once. It's never just once. An alcoholic doesn't just take a sip. It never stops there. The line keeps getting pushed farther and farther and farther. And how willing, I guess, how much are you willing to let the line push you over the edge? Absolutely. But you also
0: have to look at a lot of things like that especially with uh with the negatives that you might see about yourself part of uh part of the whole process about trying to integrate those things into the whole and you're absolutely right when you have uh when you have a reaction that makes you uh, uh sort of formulate those things into uh, a negative way, especially so let's just take for example the the compliment feeding ego and and ego being something that's sort of uh, sort of consuming you through that compliment or something like that. It also helps to think of the ways in which that is an incredible asset that it points perhaps when you are, a low point, when you are really just scraping the bottom of the barrel, both spiritually and personally and whatever, sometimes it might be time to let that monster out of its cage because you are in a situation where you need to be uplifted. And that's what that creature is there for. That's what it's built for, is to to not let you live in that, that bottomless pit negative state, but instead to see the places where even the stuff about you that you sort of hate are ways in which you're a whole person,
1: if that makes any sense. I look at it, why, and I think it's an issue with people too, is why do we give so many shits about what other people think of us? And it took me a very long time to be able to kind of snap out of it and it was when my cousin said why do you care what someone thinks of you you're only going to know them for that couple of minutes and I said I don't know because it, I care what everybody thinks about me any, any little comment anything anything is negative I get hurt by which I, I still kind of do but it's like do I like myself some days some days I do and some days I have to fight the demons that go inside my head where I have my avenue to release those things but I look at like the ego issue for instance is I set impossible goals that I'll never be able to accomplish in my lifetime. Never. I set them so freaking ridiculous, which doesn't work for everybody, but it works for me and everybody's different. It's because I'll never stop building to get there. Doesn't matter if it's an impossible goal. I'm going to work my hardest to try and thrive up there. I think the issue is people set a goal like something so ridiculous in such a short amount of time, I'm going to lose 80 pounds by let's say we're in november by january it's like that's not going to fucking happen that unless you're getting major surgery that's not going to happen and once they don't see a pound shut off in that first week they give up i set something where by the end of my lifetime i just want to be remembered and it's like be remembered by who do i want to be remembered by everybody no but i want to be remembered so much that where i i made an impact I made a bit of an impact into not one person, but just a few people that I had held close in my life, which you will with your family. But everyone has this idea and this objective of I want to be famous. And it's my issue with fame is that it's corrupting. Power is corrupting. But a million people loving you for a minute and then you're gone. Or a few people that will love you forever, long after you're gone.
0: Would There's, you rather be a million people's tenth favorite thing or twenty-five people's favorite thing?
1: I have an ego issue with both of those things. <laughs> you know I, what I mean? Yeah, it's it's a it's a thing though, is that people don't understand that limelight is so fleeting. One minute you're in it and then one minute you're out of it and then the issue is, it's just like body dysmorphia. When you're a power lifter or a weight lifter. you see yourself at peak. Like I have a six pack on top of my six pack. Like I had talked to um my fifth episode was with one of my uh, bodybuilding managers, and I was talking to him like back when I was lifting every single day, twice a day, just going nuts with it. And um, I asked him, I was like, "Do you ever get upset?" Like I know when I look in the mirror, and if I'm having a rough day, I get like a mentally messed up. And he goes you know, you want to see some photos of me back in my day? And he starts pulling out his phone and swiping through photos. I'm like, are any of them not with you in a Speedo? And He goes, no. He goes, when you look like this, you, you took a lot of pictures in a Speedo. But it was six-pack pictures, bodybuilding pictures. And now he has a dad bod where he's wearing a Captain America hoodie. Amazing guy. But I asked him, I was like, how do you overcome that? Seeing that you're at the age you are now when 20 years ago, you look like Arnold back in the day. Like, how do you How do you mentally cope with that 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 regression that how you're never going to be able to accomplish that again, and he goes, it's something that weighs on your mind every time you look in the mirror, but you can choose to let that hold you back and you can understand that was you then and this is you now. That whole body dysmorphic thing that whole thing leads up into society when it comes into fame. We have this idea of when that fame, when that thing, when you're in it, it's amazing. It feels good. Everybody complimenting you, telling you, Michael, you're the fucking best, man. You got everything. It's needed at the time. But then once you're out of the spotlight, once you stop, once you take a break, once you get out of it and you're not in it anymore, and it's on to the next thing, your mind goes through this regression where it's like, oh my God, like, do they not care about me anymore? And then you start making music that's trying to Was be. Was I relevant. ever good at all? <laughs> yeah, it starts turning into this thing. Did is am I just crap now? And then you end up hating yourself. So it turns sour. It's like the monkey's paw. And it's like, yeah. there's so many fucking things that we should be more concerned about rather than this idea of why do I need to be number one in everything that I do just do your best, be consistent. It's like my fucking staple, be consistent with it. I'm not the best. I'm not the fastest, I'm not the strongest, but I fucking try. I just yeah. try do what I possibly can to bring some cards up to the table.
0: Well, and I, uh, I had somebody, I was a professional wrestler for, for a number of years before. What? Uh, yeah. Uh, before my, uh, my head injuries from hockey and wrestling all caught up to me. And I had to, I had to walk away last uh, October. I still want to do one more match because I'd never got to have like the closure of like a last match. But when I was getting ready for that, uh, I had coaches who, who really helped me to understand like, you have to think about it, not like my body isn't ready because my body doesn't look a specific way, because professional wrestlers by and large have in your head a specific physique that you're thinking of. Don't worry about what your body looks like. Worry about what your body's capable of doing. What can you do? Not what it looks like. Look at what you can do. No, Mike, you do not have a six-pack body. The front of you is not shredded to death. Nobody can wash their clothes on your abs. But you can hold a 350-pound man over your head for nine seconds. And that's something not everybody on the planet's able to do. So think about the ways that you are exceptional instead of the ways that you aren't your, 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 uh, your bodybuilding manager, your, your friend who has, you know, gone are the days of the mighty six pack and stuff like that. But what is his body being asked to do? And does his body fail him in those things? I would imagine that he would say no.
1: You think that a lot of that has to do with, because that issue runs in more than just those people or those examples those issue runs with everybody is that we look at I think it's society's projection of what is top what is number one what is a what is the way to get there six pack all these other types of things when nobody even really considers functional strength nobody considers things that are going and that just doesn't go with strength that goes with anything you do if you're not there's a very there's a very famous professional wrestler Kevin Owens who works in the WWE right
0: now And if you saw Kevin Owens walking down the street, you would see a fat guy with a beard. And when you see a fat guy with a beard walking down the street, it's not every day that you think about the exceptional athletic things that he's capable of, but we're talking about a guy who can go out and put on a 60-minute wrestling match, which is hard. It's one of the most exhausting things any person can do. 60 minutes of continual performing, performing with your whole body using your body to care for another person's body while you're telling a story doing something that simulates combat without detrimentally harming the person that you're doing it to it's it's an exceptional thing that not all people are capable of doing but you know you watch him walk down the street and he's just average normal looking guy
1: wrestling's that thing though that's like it's really big when you're a kid and then you lose it and then it ends up coming back and being awesome when you're an adult. Like I, I, that was like a good seven year period where I was like, "It's fucking fake," and then it's all this. And then I started realizing, like, it might not be real hits, but they're doing those real stunts, and that is some extreme, like, choreographed shit. Like that's intense. This is what I
0: always say to people. They're like, "Well, wrestling's fake." I'm like, "Yeah, dude. So's Breaking Bad."
1: <laughs> that's true, but not, so's, I <laughs> game, so's
0: Game of Thrones. Those things are fake. No. Why, like... What's the? What's the? Just because this is a this is a fake athletic event. It doesn't have any value.
1: When when you see somebody get picked up and then I guess get pile drive, whatever it is where they, where they go knees first, they like drop to the knees where the head's like right in between the legs and hit that. Yeah. From someone that has an actual spine injury, and I look at that, I my mine like I I hold my own neck. Like I don't even give a shit if that's acting. <laughs> I don't care if you didn't even hit the floor. That looked real and that looked painful. So I'm like, I look at that, I'm like the 619, the doing whatever, the crazy stunts. You're legit doing that shit and you're putting on a show. And that's the whole point of it. But then there are people that don't draw the line at that as a show. There are people that go out there and act like that in real life. Have you ever came across a person in a store that's like, everybody listen up this son of a, and it's like, you're making a scene like let's leave that for the television shit (laughs) the people that are actually are getting paid to do so but people want to turn that into their everyday life I'm like hang on a second like I I can I can name so many countless times I've gone to the store where it's like am I watching fucking television right now am I being punked is Ashton Kutcher going to come out and punch me in the nuts I have no clue but it's like that's that's what kind of scares me is that we don't know when that line should be drawn when is there a moment? watching somebody in a grocery store,
0: uh, cut a promo on somebody out of absolutely nowhere. I still do things like that. I, uh, the, the thing like you get somebody who cuts you off in traffic or a boss that really pits you off, pisses you off. I'll go and sit in front of my bathroom mirror and I'll cut, you know, a 15 minute promo. Like we got to sell an event on
1: Sunday or something like that. Yeah. But you can do that in your bathroom to right. yourself not in fucking public over ginger snaps or whatever the hell the person's buying, where it's like, you don't have my favorite ginger snaps. It's like, chill the fuck out, man. We're in the middle of a store. You should not be acting this extreme over that. And I get it. Maybe they had a rough day. Maybe they had this, maybe they had that. But at the same time, it's like, you see people now where they're trying to create a scene or create some type of conflict Like it's, you're like, you're on a television show and you're getting paid for it. Like I'm seeing that in everyday public now where it's like, you don't have a mask. And it turns into this whole event where I'm like, are they like, are you just waiting for phones to be pulled out so people can videotape this and put this on YouTube or something? I have no clue. Is this your content famous thing? It's always about something else.
0: You know, they, it's, when you work in a service industry, especially either retail or uh, waiting tables, working in kitchens to a lesser extent, uh, you can you can see those people coming from a mile away. You get to the point where you can sort of see it in their body language that, like, what this person requires from this interaction is not the the act of me selling something to them or the act of me making them food or bringing them food or anything like that. They came here because they required this conflict because they needed this power balance to be shifted into their favor. So they needed to go someplace where they had power. They needed to have someone who uh, through the, the way that the social interaction works has no power and they needed to exercise that power on that person. And it all comes from a lack of control in your own life.
1: So what's the ideal fix for that of trying to get control into your own life?
0: So there's, there's different methods that you can do to sort of help yourself to understand and recognize your own controls because there is so much of our life that isn't up to us. It isn't up to me what my boss wants to schedule me by and large. It isn't up to me what the weather's doing today. Sometimes it isn't even up to me what clothes I get to wear for the day because I have a uniform that has to be worn for a a position or something like that. But it's about finding the places where you do have that choice and exercising that choice and places where you do have power and exercising that power and Having the self-awareness to look at it and say, if my problem is the power being exercised on me by this other outside force, and what my problem is, is the way that they exert that power, it can feel temporarily good to exert that same kind of power on somebody else.
1: There is a problem, like I said before, with power corrupting. Power is always going to corrupt. At one point, even being president, it's like, oh, shit. It's the same thing with the, the the gym thing. You have all that power. The next thing you know, you're not president anymore. And you're like, well, I can't do shit now. You know, it's, it's like why, that. With, it's, it's why like, we're
0: 46 for 46 on presidents who are also war criminals.
1: Well, it's <laughs> the whole it leads into a bigger factor too. even a supervisor, even a manager. The reason why, like, I end up leaving a job or something is because I need someone that can knows how to speak to me. And it's funny because I've only left two jobs in my life, Um, but for every job I've had, I've either gotten the supervisor to understand what that is, or I've had a supervisor that's able to understand that. There's a way to be able to tell somebody to do something without acting like you're higher up or better than they are. But there's this weird thing when you get put on a platform, it's very difficult to try and step down to that platform for someone that just started. I get it. I've been working at my work for couple months now, maybe four or five months now, we get new people all the time. And I'm just like, ah, but I know so much. You don't know anything. It's like, you want to kind of move on. But I'm like, you got to be like a teacher. Not what? act like you're higher up than them, but like the cool teachers that were like your friend. Hey, we're going to learn this shit together. I'll teach you some things. Just treat them like a normal person. Because if you look at trying to boss around someone, people love that position. That's the issue is when you love being the boss, you love bossing people around. You're never truly going to understand, like, oh, why do they get up? Why are they talking shit on me? What are they? I thought I'm their boss. It's like, but you treat them like that. You treat them like they're lower than you. And people don't want to be like that. The world works so much better when everyone can treat everybody with the same equalness, a blank slate. I would say. I don't. Not talking about when it goes down to like. I'm not. Not trying to turn this into a racial thing at all. I'm just saying an equality factor of the fact of you're a person, I'm a person. I like to examine, kind of wanted to reference reference this in the beginning, but I had an astrophysicist on my podcast named Dr. Serene Nanny. Now, hopefully I said her last name right, because I know there's a pronunciation thing with it. Um, I apologize to her if she's listening. But she was, she put up a picture on Instagram, was like, If you think you're so amazing and so all this stuff and you think you're the best and nobody ever can compare to you, think of the world and how minuscule you're on. And I'm like, that's what I literally do every single day to understand where I'm at in this place, in this world. When I think there's so many issues that are never going to be solved, that life is hell, why don't I just end it now, all these types of things, I go in the grand scheme of things, it is very minuscule. My problems are that my car won't start or this is this because in the grand scheme of things, we're a little tiny little pebble and a fucking huge thing that our brains can't even comprehend. And I'm not talking about us. I'm talking about the world is a pebble and we're not even a dot on that thing. People go and there was a, a United States map or something and it was Trump. It was uh, supposed to be the like how big he was in the states or whatever it was and the whole most of the united states was red before the election this was like a couple years ago yeah and then someone zoomed out and it was the united states and then you barely saw that little red dot and then eventually they zoomed out even farther into the world and then you couldn't see it anymore and i was like that guy has such an amazing famous whatever whatever you want to say about him. I'm not saying he's a good guy. I'm just saying he has this huge fame grasp thing. He's in the eye, attention of everything. He has such, so much attention on him and you're trying to get that attention. Then you zoom out and you realize the big picture, you can't even see him from space. He doesn't even make a blip. He doesn't even make a mark. That's what I'm saying is when you think that you're going to be so like, everyone's going to love you to It's not going to make a mark in the grand scheme of things. What you should be focused on doing is not the objective of fame, but the objective of what it is that you want to actually do. Not things that are projected on you because you're taught throughout life that you're going to get everything you want if you're famous. If you're fucking Kevin Bacon, every meal for you is free. No, just do where you feel like in your heart, in your soul, spirit, whatever, is accepted. Where do you feel like you fit? What is, cause you're like a puzzle piece and you're just constantly, or you're the Tetris piece. You're fucking trying to figure out how to get that last line done with, where's the fucking straight squiggly guy that, that comes in and fills up that block where you're like, this guy's to the party. I can complete the game.
0: I had a teacher who, who told me this much, this once, especially as you, as you keep uh, uh, talking about the idea of fame. And it was, do you want to be exceptional, or do you want to be happy? Because being exceptional will not make you happy. The idea of, just to, just as an example, the, the idea again of uh, sculpting your body in a specific way. You can work out all you want. But if you don't alter your eating habits, you're never going to have abs. Abs start in the kitchen. And I knew a lot of guys, especially in wrestling, who were body guys. I knew a guy, uh, this guy, Roy Johnson, who specifically goes by the body guy. He's Roy Johnson, yeah? The body guy, yeah? Um, And watching the way that he eats, uh, it's all boiled chicken, broccoli, and rice for every meal with no seasoning. That's literally
1: what I've eaten for like the past eight years, and well, besides tuna, add tuna. So
0: you, it. so you have you have now stripped
1: all joy from the culinary section of your life. I guess I looked at it because I don't get joy out of eating crazy things. I I, I just I, I eventually when I and, first started weightlifting and stuff, it just cooking to me was just a task to get done. I mean, I grew up on microwavable items and shit. So it was like, what do you prioritize as the, yeah.
0: The and factor? it's, it's all about, it's all about where the important ones lies to you. He doesn't see that to me, that looks like a nightmare. I've, I've been a, a cook for as long as I've been alive and professionally uh, for oh like five, six years. And I love food. I love food so much. I can't imagine like stripping all of the joy and happiness out of that experience and just replacing it with like a cartoon character's wardrobe for what you eat. It's the same thing every day. Going grocery shopping is never an adventure. I don't
1: have to make a list because I know exactly what I'm going to get. I know it's so fucking simple that way, I love it. I go into the <laughs> store, I know the same five items I'm gonna get that I've always gotten. And you can
0: and you can break your life down and and simplify that for almost anything but it's, it's about, do you, do you want to be happy or do you want to be exceptional? Because exceptional people, they have to do things that will not make you happy. The amount of practice and work that it takes to become something as ridiculous as an overnight success is ludicrous.
1: Rapper or the idea Uh,
0: uh, for, for anybody, the, the, uh, to, to take it to something that I know very well, professional wrestling.
1: I meant, you said ludicrous. I'm like, are we talking about the rapper ludicrous? You're talking about the objective idea,
0: (laughs) the, 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 uh, the objective concept of something being ludicrous. Okay. (laughs) Um, you'll see somebody who shows up on WWE TV and it will be the first time that they've been on a world broadcast wrestling thing. So for all intents and purposes and everybody who is watching You are viewing a rookie taking their first steps out. And boy, are they awesome. God, how that's amazing. Their first match, they were so incredible. They looked so great. It must be incredible to be such a wonderful overnight success. But what's not on TV are the 15 years of grinding, doing shows in bingo halls for six people, being paid in plates of chicken before you got to see it.
1: kind of like the building of Rome. We all know the objective idea of Rome. Here's this beautiful thing. And we say it wasn't built in a day, but did you see all the work that went into that? All the people exactly. that probably died making it. And, and with anything
0: that lasts a long time, uh, ourselves, our cities, we're building on top of the ruins of what came before us. Everything used to be something else you and i we used to be different people who did different things and who we are now is built upon the
1: ruins of who that person was perfect example when i was 13 i masturbated a lot now i masturbate a lot less
0: <laughs> and beyond just like beyond just like the the you know carnal instant gratification stuff that we have a lot when we're younger um, you know, I mean, everybody, I think, especially boys between the ages of like 13 and 22.
1: Uh, Damn, just like, hold on a second. You just picked both the ages I mentioned when I was 13 and my age now is 22.
0: <laughs> the the uh, the right between those ages seems to be the sweet spot when a boy just turns into a garbage disposal. You can fill him with anything, whole, whole packages of Oreos. It doesn't matter. It's just a bottomless pit that can never be can never be satiated
1: I miss the days when i could eat a whole bag of doritos and not gain a pound if i did that now i'm pretty sure there'd be some huge issues
0: oh my god i i still have i still have the worst one is pizza anytime i get a pizza it's like all right don't eat this entire
1: thing and like dude do what i do 40 45
0: minutes later it's yeah I'm, I'm definitely gonna eat this entire thing and i will feel terrible but
1: I have I love Domino's. I've sworn by them for the longest time, but I put oregano on my salad and it makes it taste like Domino's pizza crust and that has kept the craving away for the longest time.
0: And you know, as you get older, you find little things like that. You find you find different different tricks to sort of get rid of that like that all desire uh no no thought mechanism that you sort of live in in those areas. You're
1: satiating the hunger, the craving for. Okay, then let's turn that into a bigger thing. If you could do that in the kitchen, how do you do that with the idea of fame, the satiation of hunger that a lot of people have for the subjective idea of fame, what fame is, but not really what it truly is entirely. There has to be a thing to be able to crave that. Is that enough people liking your posts, which seems like people think is the idea of fame, is how many likes you get, how many followers you get, which I'm not going to lie, I'm a bit at fault for doing that myself. I like to see the numbers go up, but at the same time, what does that really mean? Would those people kill for you, like real cult followers will? No. There's
0: there's tons of ways to sort of uh, to sort of gain that that don't necessarily get explored a lot. Um I think that there is this idea that unless you are doing something on a big grand scale, that you're not doing it for real. That somehow the thing that you are doing is less true than what someone is doing who's doing the exact same thing on television. Uh, and a lot of it has to do with sort of the, the privilege of being able to, to go and get and grab that space. Getting the getting the likes on your posts seems to be a way that people sort of scratch that, that dirty, nasty, famous itch. But there's lots of other things that you can do. Go do your local community theater production. Most towns in this country, regardless of how big they are, have some mechanism that functions like that. There's no reason that that cannot be as satisfying. I know that it's that satisfying. I've been in those local productions. I ran a local production house for six years. And it definitely feels good when you have a little kid who comes up to you in a bookstore and remembers that you did Hamlet when no one else in the room has any idea who you are. (laughs) It feels great. But there's lots of times when you see people who get that thing that you covet And then they get really excited about all the places that they can go that they don't have it. The biggest sport on planet Earth is soccer. And soccer stars, towards the end of their career, most of them end up in MLS, in the U.S.-Canadian Domestic League. And they love it.
1: Soccer's the biggest sport. Globally. Okay. That makes more sense. I'll say in the United States, it definitely is football. I just watched a person yell at another person for 45 minutes, like two days ago about football. Yeah, for, for sure. For sure. In the
0: United States, it's American football, but, but soccer globally is the biggest thing in the world. You have guys who go from, they can't leave their own home in the country that they live in without being mobbed endlessly. And then towards the end of their career, they come to play in MLS in the U.S.-Canadian Domestic League, and they tell all their friends, this is amazing. I can go grocery shopping. Nobody bothers me because nobody cares. Nobody cares that I'm Leo Messi.
1: (laughs) I wonder if Leonardo DiCaprio thinks that.
0: I mean, I'm sure that there are there are places but probably less of them for film stars where you can sort of uh get away and have that not be important to people
1: um it was like an issue because like bill cosby for instance a lot of people i've been hearing have really bad accounts from him not the victims of his crimes but more on the aspect of people that have known him and hung out with him at a bar or something they talk about how his ego issue was so big he thought he was better than everybody else Like, give you, like, Wanda Sykes, a famous comedian. He was giving her, like, berating her for the way she was speaking, saying that it wasn't right or it wasn't this, it wasn't funny. And everyone's like, what the fuck? Like, you can't tell her. She's amazing. Like it, And it was this whole aspect of, like, he used to have uh, his security guards tuck him in at night, like a child, like, tuck him in. And it was just for this idea of power. Like some people, when they have it, they want to abuse the shit out of it. I'm like, that is the, he would have people watch him eat soup. Fucking or soup. They're,
0: or they're using their power to get something that they don't think that they could get otherwise. I'm using my power to, uh, the the tucking somebody in, for example. Bill Cosby needs somebody to love him. Bill Cosby doesn't feel like anyone loves him, like anyone truly cares for him. So he Maybe makes people. Maybe if they were
1: f- fucking awake for it, they probably he probably would feel different.
0: Sure. So he makes people. He makes them do these things like tuck him in. There are lots of people who you know they they make their they make their security guards sit down and watch old episodes of their tv shows and stuff like that because like an old have,
1: person that has because
0: they don't have anybody in their life who would want to do that with them who wants to to experience that nostalgia with them so they have to pay somebody else to do it
1: <laughs> i guess like you can understand from like an old person perspective i don't rationalize with bill cosby i think that's fucking weird but um I think with an elderly person where they would just want to call and they want to talk for hours and hours and hours when they're home alone and they have no one else to talk to it makes sense. But Yeah. Should you be it, doesn't that feel weirder though if you're paying somebody to do that with you?
0: If it is a need of yours that needs to be met there are different things that you have to consider before you pay to have that need met what will happen if I don't
1: it's like how if does you, it well, how does like, it
0: harm me to not have
1: this it's like if you um someone says did you do something You're like yeah I did it and you didn't do it and they're giving you a praise for it it's like uh don't feel I don't feel right I don't feel like that was a I'm not getting the same satisfaction if I work my ass off all day outside building a garden. And the next thing you know, I just say, I told you I did it. Or I had someone, like if you pay someone to do something, yeah. when you could have put in the hard work, you have more love for it. Getting compliments on how beautiful your home is when
0: someone else designed it, someone else cleans it. Well, thank you. I worked but hard you, on this. but you, But you own it, so <laughs> you're the one who gets the compliments instead of those other people. It's, you know, it's about, it's about having needs, having human needs that need to be met. We, we need to be complimented for the things that we do and the things that we feel like we do well. And maybe it isn't enough for them to feel that sense of satisfaction from themselves that they have to get it from some from somebody else. That having that external validation is important and it is important. It's very important.
1: Do you feel like, there's still some things left inside of you that you want to go towards with professional wrestling that hasn't been finished. Cause you said like, you didn't feel like you had the best last match, like a final match. It's, it's more like
0: very rarely do we ever get to know when something is going to be the last time you're going to do something. And with something like wrestling, typically Your body is going to tell you that you're done sometime before you die. And so you're going to be aware like, okay, this is the last time I get to go out. This is the last time I'm going to be able to perform for people in this specific way. It's the last time I'm going to be able to get to tell a story with somebody who might be a very good friend of yours. Typically when wrestlers are being retired, they're going to be retired by somebody that they know and somebody that they've worked with very closely so that you can go out and you can try and get all that stuff you've got in the basement out. And I definitely feel like I have stuff in the basement. I, When I found professional wrestling, it was like a light switch got flipped on. It was finally the thing that combined everything that my life had loved. I love performance. I think that there is something beautiful and sacred and profane about The physical act of performing and that there has to be a reason why every single culture that has ever existed on this planet has always in some way divided themselves into people who are telling a story and people who are observing that story being told. And that when you are participating in that, either as an audience member or as a performer, you are tapping into that that deep primal need that human beings have to experience those things. And finding a way that I could could tap into that need and to do it in a way that is largely physical. There's, There's talking in professional wrestling, but once you get down to the wrestling part, there's not a lot of conversation that happens. It's a lot of telling stories with your body. So it's this perfect combination of I've always loved sports, I've always participated in them and i have always participated in performance and i couldn't always mesh those two things together so when i when i finally realized you know one what i was actually watching in professional wrestling and why it it drew me in and spoke to me when i was younger and why it was drawing me back in as an older person and realizing that you're very very good at something I, I was good at it. And when you're good at stuff, you want to keep doing it. I feel like I had more to show. I felt like I had more to do. I felt like there was a kind of story that I hadn't quite figured out the way how to tell yet. And that I was sort of getting close to that and scratching that. Uh, my, my partner, Alex, uh, who has been great as we've been dealing with all of my head trauma stuff, uh she understands that I know that I've got one more in me that I I want to find a way to do one more but I have to find a way to do it safely and with someone who is going to look after me and take care of me while I'm doing it but I think that everybody has you know stuff that when they look back like you know oh god I wish that wasn't the last time I did that thing I wish that I could try and do that once more. I think that, I think that it's natural to have those feelings.
1: Yeah. Kind of like sometimes like I go to the bathroom and I'm like, nope, there's still a little bit more in the tank. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's not over till you finish with the paperwork. I look at that. Like you could have, you could sit there and marinate on that and just let that fester at you until you are full of regret. But instead you have this perspective of, yeah, but what's the, I had fun doing it. You found what you love. Like same thing when I mentioned, um, his name was Chuck, the bodybuilding manager. I I asked him about it. He goes, I wouldn't take a second back. I said, why? He goes, because I had, I found what I loved. I found my passion. I found what I'm, and he trains people now. He doesn't look like like how he did, but he was like, it it was something that was in that moment. It was everything. And I I found like a lot of people spend their whole life trying to figure out what they want to do, who they want to be and who they are. He goes, I found who I was. And he goes, I'm not. I'm not. It doesn't mean I lost it. It just means I've completed it. I've done what I wanted to do. I've done that made me happy. That gave me that time. That gave me that strength. That gave me that ability to feel like, holy shit, I'm somewhere. And I. This is where I would need to be. And I think a lot of people need to look at things more like that than, oh, I left that on the table. I wish I could go back and all these regrets and things.
0: The composer Lynn Manuel Miranda uh, said when he was talking about uh, the success of Hamilton, he said. I know what the first line of my obituary will be. So now I'm trying to figure out what all the other lines are going to be.
1: Damn. I'm going I'm to say what I said before about being remembered. <laughs> I'm going to fucking pay whoever does my funeral to be an amazing public speaker so they really remember. Because you always just remember the last speech. Even the whole funerals I, I've ever been to, I've always remembered just the last, like the dude that did the thing. Well, and the
0: idea the idea that you die two deaths. You die twice. You die once when you physically leave this world, and then you die again when the last person who remembers your name expires.
1: Damn. Well, we need to figure out immortality because whoever's gonna remember me needs to live forever. <laughs> and there's and you know, there's there's
0: people there's people who have successfully found a way to maybe not live forever but they are still alive in some certain way here but now you have more the legend of them the reality of them doesn't necessarily exist anymore and it goes all the way back to talking about the way that people are perceived that being perceived negatively in a small interaction Well, you can walk away from that. You can say, yes, my truth is not that. That interaction is not who I am as a human being. But that interaction is who you are for that person. And whether that person remembers that interaction for a week, a month, a year, the rest of their lives, there's a version of you that exists. Who is that? Who's exactly who that person thinks you are? And they'll exist for as long as that person exists
1: but this interaction went a little bit differently than you were expecting. <laughs> I know the episode I sent you to listen to, you're probably like, oh my God, we're just going to be doing crazy stuff. But no, it got deep.
0: Uh, you know, it's all about the, the way that things sort of get get driven. And I think that right now is a, a pretty deep uh, introspective time, especially for people who are trying to find the new ways to make art in this existence in an existence where it is not safe for me to be in a room with other people, how do I satisfy my desires and needs as a performer? What are the ways that I have to do that?
1: I'm about to ruin it with something funny. It's the commotion in the ocean, brother.
0: (laughs) Hell yeah. And in a, in a place like this, you have to find the ways that you can sort of disrupt what you think of as the, the the right or correct or normal way to do things fucking nothing's normal anymore
1: <laughs> So it'll be called it the new normal
0: uh, right and and it will stay the new normal until there's another new normal and then everybody will be talking about wanting to go back to that one
1: <laughs> I just want to go back to the 90s when things were more simple
0: nostalgia is just feeling sad about happy memories
1: <laughs> ruin it's that just, for me it's, it's all i have <laughs> left
0: it's just making you feel, it's just making yourself sad about things that are happy.
1: <laughs> well, I know we didn't talk about the page or anything, but do you have anything to promote, man? Anything you want to talk about?
0: Uh yeah, I am in an audio drama called Arzen that I am really proud of. Uh, Nicole Tuttle has done an amazing job writing it and assembling an incredible cast. Um, I, I didn't have any aspirations to get into voice work when I started performing because I really key into live reaction. I've always been someone who's thrived on a crowd. Uh, Film was fun, but it never sort of scratched that itch for me Um, and being able to find a place to, to sort of execute these things was definitely interesting. and sort of composing your own portion of this in a bubble, in a vacuum, uh, and then hearing it all combined together by other artists, you know, having things combined with the amazing music of John Bartman and the incredible work of everybody else in our cast down to the Foley work and editing that's being done, having all of that come together and then listen to a whole that I couldn't have conceived of has been really incredible and rewarding. Uh, I'm really proud of the work. I'm really proud of the story. Uh, we're five episodes in right now. Episode six will be out the uh, second Friday in December. I don't know the date of that off the top of my head. Um, but I I just, I'm excited to hear where the story keeps moving and to hear how the thing that I read gets combined into art that other people can listen to. It's It's really awesome.
1: And where can people find it again?
0: Uh, Arzen is available, I think, everywhere that podcasts are. Uh, A-R-S-E-N, if you search in Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever your podcatcher of choice is, I believe it's on all of them.
1: I'll make sure I link everything in the description so that people can find it too. Absolutely. Thank you so much.
0: And if anybody wants to do more weird esoteric stuff or have their cards, bones or stuff read. Uh, I am tarot for punks on Instagram. And that is where I am doing all of my uh, uh, weird magic shit now.
1: I'm going to have to get a tarot card reading from you. I got one read on air in an episode. I want to hear another perspective. What do you mean reading bones? Like, can you read my hip?
0: Uh, no, it's so you uh, you have a collection of bones and the idea is uh, sort of where each specific piece falls, the angle that it is at to the presenter, whether things land on top of each other or what's underneath what, uh, maybe something that say when you drop them, everything sort of blasts out of the way and there's one thing sitting there in the center of it as sort of a way to focus. It's just a different way to sort of add randomness and chaos into the idea of divination.
1: Is it like bring your own beer, but bring your own bones?
0: Uh, you can bring your own bones. Uh, I typically use my own bones.
1: How about to say, I, can, I have, can you do it for me now? Because I would love to know what this is.
0: I can absolutely. If you give me just one minute, I need to- uh, uh, go I got all the time in the world if you're going
1: to read my bones, brother. Absolutely. Holy shit. All right, audience, uh, if you're listening, um, I suggest switching over to the video because I'm going to get my bones read. I'm excited. I have my tarot cards read. I'm about to get my bones read.
0: Everything's kind of all over the place right now because I've been uh, working my way through some different specific operations
1: but so I'm excited. I'm so happy. I even asked that. You're... But so
0: I've got, uh, I've got these things here. I've got horn and bone, and I've got another little bag of bones here. So we're going to take a look at something here. Now, typically when I do this, I don't like to have someone who has a question already in mind. Typically I like to let this sort of uh, fall as it may as sort of a, this is what you're being asked to look at and look into. Again, it's just like tarot with all of these archetypes that can sort of respond to any situation. Most of these things should be able to, if you look hard enough, find it inside yourself, which is sort of the the areas where divination is simultaneously true and bullshit. (laughs) Okay. So, Is so this, the way that we have things laid out right now, is when is there any way you
1: can point the thing down so I can? Let see. me let
0: me try and see what I can do for you. Um,
1: I don't know how much good light I have. Is this is this would this be specific for me or would it be like so, this, this one you just did?
0: So this this general reading, what I am trying to focus on is. Uh, uh, what you might need to uh to to hear and pull from them from this i'm trying to specifically think to to you okay so the first thing that we've got here is we have a large collection of stuff that has sort of piled up underneath one another and all of that is underneath the antler the antler is sort of these uh the outward self the outer projection of who you are and sort of falling in line with what you were talking about before it's it's a lot about pride it's about the things that you want other people to see and know about you and you are laying and layering that on top of a lot of other stuff that sort of ended up in a pile beneath it. So it's sort of talking, speaking to, like you were talking about before, that the the ego is something that you can use to cover parts of yourself that you don't want other people to necessarily look at. That there is a, like there is for all people, a outward version of who we are, and that outward version is uh, incredibly important and taking a lot of uh, of your sort of mental real estate. And that perhaps, with the way that things have sort of stacked up underneath it, and a lot of these stones and bones that are there, are uh flipped over onto what would be their reverse side and it's sort of calling to an idea that maybe you're right that this ego is a uh is more of a detriment than it is a help to you
1: yeah I can agree with that it's definitely one of those things where if someone gives me a compliment I immediately have to Like I, I fuck it up telling you. And it really,
0: and it, and it can, it can really, you know, I think that, I think that it is important that people have those, those ways and those spaces where they feel like they are sort of bigged up, where they feel as good about themselves as they can possibly feel. Uh, I think that everybody should feel that good about themselves at least once a day, but don't be afraid to take a look at, especially the things that you dislike about yourself, and finding the ways that those things are useful. Because I think that even the, even the negative aspects that we might see in ourselves, the ways that uh, I am a fairly confrontational person. I like to, uh, if I have a problem, to move very headlong at it. And that confrontationalness doesn't always benefit me, but being able to look at the situations where it can benefit me is important. And you know, I would never I would never, unless I knew a client for a very, very long time, there's no way that I can say for sure, you know, what these things that lie underneath the horn are. But it speaks to this idea that the horn and the outward presentation is very important. And perhaps, There are useful things within you that you don't yet see as useful that you need to take more time and learn to love about yourself.
1: Hmm. Trying to think of what, what do I not consider useful? I don't know. I feel pretty useless, to be honest with you. I couldn't make fucking mashed potatoes that are instamash, so <laughs> that was a big fucking wrecker. Where I was like, "Damn, I could do so much compli- complicated shit, and then I can't even make instamash." <laughs> but
0: a a failure in one aspect does not negate the success of others, and maybe being able to find something like that and saying, "Hey," what would it be like? What would a version of me look like that knew how to make instant mashed potatoes?
1: Probably be a lot fucking happier. And then t- it's,
0: <laughs> but that version exists. That version of you is already real and you can already become that version of yourself without without like hundreds and hundreds of hours of dedication, you can do it. It's It's a goal that is so attainable. <laughs>
1: just need to have patience and know when it says two cups of hot water i don't just do a giant pot of water to where it comes out like clam chowder (laughs) you can you can you can take a week and you can perfect that art that's a fucking week though man my patience is so small
0: and you know what you might eat some bad mashed potatoes in the wild but we learn more from our bad mashed potatoes than we do from our perfect mashed potatoes i'll tell you what i had them frozen it was okay (laughs) hey you learn more from the bad than you do from the good. Absolutely.
1: I don't, I don't even want to bring up the rice I ended up cooking yesterday. That was still messed up. I was like, it's at 90 seconds in the microwave. Like, yeah, but I don't know how, but you messed that up too. I'm like, stick it to the can of tuna a day. I just like that better. It's not complicated. Rice, don't feel bad. Rice can get tricky.
0: I uh, I was being paid to cook for years before I successfully cooked rice alone in my kitchen without burning it. Or using too much water or too much salt. It was like a two-year process to be able to like reliably make rice and not constantly call my partner into the kitchen to say, "Hey, does this look done? Hey, is this all right? Hey, is this okay?"
1: If I had to correlate something that hits deep with me on a level, I always shoot for like just average. But I'm like taquitos in the microwave. You put it in for 15 minutes. The ones on the outside are hot, and then as you work your way in, it gets cold. (laughs) <laughs> michael i i appreciate you for everything for doing the podcast for giving me that reading is there please promote one more time where people can find the stuff
0: uh so arzen is on uh, uh twitter at arzen pod and on all of the podcasters that you want to look at a s r e n and it is a, uh, a fantasy audio drama. Um, if you are uh, are into some of the actual play DD shows, think about a DD show, but there's no dice rolling or mathematics. It's all story all the time. And then if you are interested in getting esoteric or weird, I am tarot for
1: punks on Instagram. I'll make sure I link it all in the description. And thank you for listening to this episode of Out of the Blank podcast. Hey, thanks for checking out the podcast. If you want to visit iTunes or Apple Podcasts or anywhere you get your podcast, rate, review, subscribe, and even share the show. Helps me out. Leave me a little something, like a little message about oregano or Domino's Pizza or how Papa John's is evil. Thanks for checking out Out of the Blank Podcast.